0: Good morning, good afternoon and good evening and welcome to this the latest HR on the offensive podcast. It's me Chris Howard from Lace Partners. As always thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for tuning in if you're doing it via Apple Podcasts, if you're doing it via Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud or if you've just come across us on the Lace Partners website as well. We are very glad that you are here. And today's podcast I'm actually joined by Stephen Holiday who is uh, chief executive officer of Level Financial Technology, and Steve and I have had a previous conversation um, about financial well-being, and I really wanted to get him on the podcast today just to uh, kick around a few uh, thoughts around that space because I think it's been quite prevalent, and certainly since the the lockdown that we had in 2020, it's been on a lot of empl- uh, sorry businesses' minds as well as employees as well. So you know, we wanted to just take maybe 15, 20 minutes, maybe 25 minutes today just to, to touch on some of that and just get some of Stephen's thoughts. So Stephen, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today.
1: Well, thank you for having me along, Chris.
0: We're going to get, delve into the financial well wellbeing. Before we do that, let's do like the old credentials check. Can you um give us a quick overview of yourself and uh, the business as well that you've, uh, you've set up level?
1: Yeah, so my background um, is sort of unashamedly not in HR. My own background is in financial services, uh, particularly financial markets, around banks and insurers, and then more latterly in financial technology. And really what we're trying to do at LEVEL is bring all these innovations going on in the financial technology world into the workplace. So our mission at LEVEL is to make pay go further. We want to empower and enable workers to be better custodians of the wages they receive with the obvious benefits that has for both the worker, the employer, and wider society. So, in brief, the product basically does three things. Uh, firstly, it enabled workers to access their pay on demand. So, simply put, if you earn two thousand pounds a month, a week before payday, you've earned fifteen hundred pounds. You've been paid zero. Eighty percent of the UK population are paid monthly in arrears. Our technology allows you to draw down on some of that money you've already earned, which is a particularly powerful tool in helping to, um, to fill shifts and helping people deal with short-term cash flow needs. Secondly, more for the long-term, we um, our technology allows people to save money into um, high-interest bank accounts directly from payroll, really trying to address this macro problem that 11.5 million people in the UK have um, very little in the way of savings and how do you form those positive savings habits. And then thirdly and finally, really the bridge between short term financial challenges and long term saving is we have open banking power budgeting tools um, that allow a worker to see how much money they have net of all the bills they've got to pay to help them better manage and budget from month to month. So that's all put together in an app and it's very much designed to be a um, holistic solution for the here and now with financial well-being to help people better manage their money and better make their um, their pay last longer
0: cool thank you very much for that just overview just a quick one just before we get into the financial well-being do you guys sort of integrate into some of the big platforms as well because that's obviously something that we get asked quite a lot with regards to to hr tech specifically and, and tech that hr teams have to manage
1: yeah i think um it's a kind of dangerous question to ask me because i could probably sort of geek out for a long time about the um
0: we love know. a geeking out here on this podcast
1: <laughs> so ultimately what underpins everything we do is the power of the salary link our app lets you save money quicker with better interest rates than anything you get in a high street bank it lets you access short-term money quicker cheaper more accessibly, more ethically than anything you get high street bank and that's not because we're great it's because of the power of the salary link because when you put a financial product together with a salary it allows you to expedite certain regulatory processes. It allows you to swap a user's credit risk for their employer's credit risk, and you get better outcomes for everyone. And all that, to your question, is enabled by um, interfacing with the employers' um, workforce management systems um, and payroll systems. So technology like ours in America, where it's more advanced, you see some HR um, technology providers build their own. You see some partner with providers like us. So. We do partner with a number of payroll and workforce management providers, but we're very keen to um, reach out to more of them because I think it's a big um, innovation in their space and they are kind of key to it, You know, much more than partnering with employee benefit platforms, et cetera. That power of the talent link really puts them at the forefront.
0: Yeah, brilliant. Okay, well, let's talk specifically about the financial wellbeing side. and I wanted to just get your perspective and your view for the benefit of our listeners what do we talk what are we talking about when we're talking about financial well-being just give us a bit of an overview as to what are we talking about from that perspective because everyone has probably a different perspective of what it actually means to them
1: yeah it's a good question chris and you know it's ever the kind of simplest questions are often the hardest ones to answer because we find a lot of employers that they sort of want or they've been told they need a financial well-being strategy but they're not entirely sure what that means mm. so for us, conceptually, financial wellbeing is about being in control of your finances. So, it is in the short term, people having the capability to pay bills, manage bills, cope with financial shocks month to month through their pay cycle. And the long term is having that headspace and control to plan for your financial future without the fear of um, persistent debt.
0: Yeah. And so let's talk specifically about the here and now then, because and you and I were talking about this a few weeks ago when we originally decided to, to to set up this podcast. I was really keen to get your view on the landscape as it is at the moment. We are, what, like 20 months, 19 months out of the lockdown of March 2020, and a lot has changed. And I think businesses as well as individuals have reflected more given the some of the psychological challenges that people have gone through they've really reflected on well-being but well-being is such a big wide area we're just talking on the financial well-being side of it but why do you think from if we if we just look at it through the the covid lens if you like why do you think there's been such an emphasis on financial well-being from businesses like starting to look at it not just employees but businesses starting to look at it for their own employees. Yeah
1: I think your observation's correct that like a lot of things in the world the pandemic accelerated trends that were already in place there was already a trend towards financial well-being which in many respects have been born out of a focus on mental health in the workplace and an acknowledgement that the biggest source of stress in the UK is financial stress. So you can have a great mental health policy, but unless you're doing things around financial wellbeing as well, you risk undercutting that. But on COVID specifically, if I answer it partly by way of an anecdote, um, just last week I was speaking with um, someone in HR at a, um, a large chain of fast food restaurants. And they were like, look, we're very much focused on financial wellbeing. And we're like, okay. What's happened? Why is that? And they said, well, look, during the pandemic, we, um, like a lot of employers, had a hardship fund that we announced made available to our employees. And it was through that hardship fund, they became aware of just the financial state of a lot of their workers. And one of the real challenges around financial health, in many respects similar to mental health, is that you don't see it. You know, you see people spending money, but you've got no idea of what's going on in the background. Mm. And I think the big leap forward in in mental health over the last 10 years is people's willingness to talk about it. You know, everyone from Prince William to Tyson Fury are open about it. With financial health, lots of people don't talk about finances. You don't really know what's going on. And I think through COVID where companies have tried to help, I think it's created much more awareness of the challenges. So they're more focused on it. And the final thing I'll say is that if I think about our own product, the tools that we have to help people with their financial well-being basically didn't exist five years ago because of technological regulatory and legal advances they exist now so it's it's not that hr departments haven't been interested and now they are interested it was like well what did you do five years ago you know what was actually available to deal with it and actually this revolution in the kind of direct consumer fintech world has created lots of products and opportunities that can now be applied, utilising that salary link in the um, employment world. And I think there's just much more options to employers for what they can do with financial wellbeing that weren't there before. Yeah. So let's talk about
0: some of that technology. Technology. So, so So can you just go through and explain to our listeners what the types of technology we're talking about in this respect? And also, can you just reflect on how much demand we've seen for your particular product suite during that pandemic period, like has it just exploded? I get the feeling you're probably going to say yes, because, as you said, five years ago, it didn't really exist. And we've then got this, I don't want to say perfect storm, but we've got this scenario where suddenly people are forced into looking to it. So has that really accelerated and exploded the demand that you've
1: seen from your clients? Yeah, I think you know, I would say half the clients we speak to have never heard of our technology before and the other half are aware of it but it's still very much an early stage. So in the US, it's much more advanced. I think um, Gartner estimate around a quarter of US employees will have access to earn wage access technology within the next few years. In the UK, it's much earlier stage that these things are um, coming about. In terms of the actual technology, to sort of take a step back, the way I kind of view financial technology and the kind of FinTech revolution is, it, it, I, I, it's like the unbundling of Lloyds Bank. You know, five or ten years ago, if you wanted to make a big payment, move some money abroad, um, make a deposit that was guaranteed by the government, you had to go to a branch of Lloyds Bank to do it. And yeah. what's actually happened is all those individual services have all now been proliferated and often available as APIs for anyone to use whatever use case they want. So you don't actually need to go to Lloyds Bank at all now. It's all yeah. available in all these different ways, and. For us it's about taking which of those we need, combining them with other forms of technology, be it front end apps, be it SMS, messaging services, to find solutions that work in the employment use case. So we have direct access to the faster payment system and the sort of irony is, you know, we can move money just as quick as Lloyd Bank. Um, You know, that's the real opportunity, that you can do things just as well as a big bank can do. So, It's direct access to faster payments to allow people to receive their pay instantly when they ask for it. Um, It is API partnerships with large deposit platforms to enable people to access the savings market without having to be a regulated bank ourselves. And it's open banking technology, which is, I don't know how familiar you are with it, but open banking is a UK led global initiative to put people in charge of their bank data. So this is part of UK and EU law that every bank has to have an open API that a regulated entity with the permission of the user um, is able to access that API and pull back their data so what we do is we pull in a user's bank data and then we split their spending between bill spending and discretionary spending and then we're able to show to them on payday how much money they've got net of bills which when we do user testing no one knows that they go well I think I have these many bills you know um, but that's the real important use case when you're thinking about budgeting. So all these new technologies that have emerged have allow us to offer this solution, which allows you to save money, access money and budget really quickly, you're all in one solution without having to be a 300-year-old 300, 300 bank with 50 billion in capital, etc. And these are all relatively you know, they didn't exist five years ago and i think the use case for them in the workplace combining with the salary link is um is very powerful
0: yeah i was just thinking as you were talking there about who your buyer is because obviously this is a hr podcast but we get people from payroll teams listening in uh, maybe we get the odd finance person as well broadly speaking is it hr people that are the main people that you speak to is it payroll people is it the finance people and the reason i'm asking that question i guess is if you're looking at it through a hr lens you're looking about the well-being of your employee perhaps and you know how can we make how can we support them how can we you know put our arm around them make sure that we're looking after them if you're looking at it from a payroll perspective then perhaps you're looking at the practical side of it how is this going to drive more efficiencies within our business and perhaps that's the the finance side of it as well so who are the kind of main buyers that you kind of talk to really.
1: Yeah. It's a question we have a lot with our sales teams. I don't know if um you're familiar with the Kissinger question about, you know, Henry Kissinger Kissinger, you say if I call Europe, who do I ask to speak to? And when yeah. I that, like, you know, if you get through to the switchboard of a large employer, who do we ask to speak to? Because it's not always obvious who we speak to. Um typically it is people in HR. But obviously mm-hmm. at big firms that proliferate, proliferates into wellbeing leads diversity inclusion sometimes you know, there's lots of different titles and roles but typically it is um, someone in HR would focus on well-being we speak to payroll more about the implementation of the technology yeah than actual buyers um, but in other firms you know you can speak with the, the CFO and then some of them some of the firms you kind of get sort of closer to the C-suite because they're interested in how a product like this can fit into their wider corporate social responsibility ESG strategy as well. So it, it isn't always obvious, um, but typically it's people in um, HR, rewards and benefits who are com- coming up with sort of overall holistic packages um, to you know recruit, and retain staff, and um, and we look to, to form part of that.
0: Yeah. And, that, and the reason I was obviously asking that is more along that lens of I'm quite intrigued to find out of the businesses that are out there that are looking at this. Are they looking at it as a as a benefit that they're going to get support from their people for or a the practicality and the the efficiency side of it? So That's quite interesting. One of the questions I did want to ask you is about industry types. Are there some types of industries that adopt this technology? Quicker than others um, that you guys have identified? Yeah, so
1: look, I think one of the tracks of the benefit, I think it can be of use to people across the pay spectrum and get a a good take across your whole firm. But there's always more interest in it around people towards bluer collar, lower paid workers. So the areas where you see the most early-stage adoption are um, gig economy, the likes of Uber and delivery have actually have their own um, wage access service which they developed themselves. Yep. Um, hospitality, and, you know, these are all things very topical in the press at the moment, just this battle for lower-paid, blue-collar, contingent workforces um, and offering them pay-on-demand is attractive around there. And the other one which you maybe wouldn't, first expect is um, is the nhs is um extremely interested in it i think it's a matter of public record that the nhs have put out a tender for providers of salary advance and financial wellbeing services to the whole of mm. nhs and their particular interest around the use cases um is around filling shifts so take an example right you've got to fill up a fill a night shift at a and e on friday night and it's like what well, do you want to do an extra shift chris and you're like, well, not really, you know, you're going to get paid given what whatever it is today, October the 6th, you're going to get paid in 25 days time. Well, what about if you got paid on Saturday morning? Would that make it more attractive for you to do that shift? Yeah. If you don't do it, I have to get some agency staff in and that's going to cost me three times the amount. And if we can make more people do overtime, we can deal with the backlog, etc. So a lot of firms are very focused on filling shifts. It's a matter of attraction for but, um, you know, we rolled out last month with one of London's biggest law firms um, on the payroll savings product who saw it as a, a perk for their staff because of the high interest rates we offer and also part of their well-being strategy and CSR strategy to say, look, this is something we offer our staff and it's differentiated. Um, so there is a real range.
0: Yeah. And you were just talking there about NHS. You've talked about the London law firm. You mentioned about how the US has adopted this technology. Is this very much seen as a US or a UK that are driving this change and businesses that are looking to implement this? Or do you see, is it happening across wider Europe, perhaps across you know Asia, the other sort of, um, continents? Is this mainly a, a sort of a Western um, established markets
1: type thing? I think it's that's where the innovation has started. So in the US, I think the first companies in this area emerged in around sort of 2014 time. And then I think most notably in 2017, Walmart, who I believe the biggest employer in America signed up for it, where it's been wildly popular. And now it's quite mainstream in America, you know, Walmart, Uber, McDonald's, G4S. But the interesting part in America is that typically you have a bi-weekly pay cycle. In the UK, it's monthly and, Over time, it's become more and more monthly to 80% of the UK population are paid monthly. Half of the low-paid population are paid monthly. So that challenge is even greater. And when you take a step back, if you invented the world today, I'm not sure you would say everyone gets paid 12 times a year. Or in some people get paid on a lunar calendar. They get paid every four weeks. Essentially, you pay people based on the position of the moon. It is a kind of bizarre situation that everyone's got used to. now. For most people that's fine they've got savings all their bills get come out monthly you know it's fine but for a significant minority it's a real challenge you know in a world where you can spend money so freely that you get paid 12 times a year so really the trends and to be honest this is where i first became aware of this starting in the us there's some now pioneers in the service um in the uk very little of it in in europe um and you've seen providers set up in in, in South Africa and in, in Australia as well and a lot comes down to really most of the fintech innovation tends to happen in I don't know if it's the correct term but Anglo-Saxon markets and first and then spread out afterwards yeah. and some also comes down to what is normal pay cycles in certain labour markets you know the UK happens to be monthly the US and the Australia is more bi-weekly and that can drive a lot of demand for the services but particularly when you have platforms like Uber food delivery platforms, et cetera, when they offer it, they start to want to offer it in all markets. And then you kind of get to these tipping points where if you're the only guy left who pays monthly and everyone else offers pay on demand or more frequently, there's pressure on you to um to follow suit also.
0: Yeah, I think what you just said there um just kind of made me chuckle. I had myself on mute, but I just chuckled. like, We've always just been paid in monthly cycles and everyone's just accepted that as red. And then it's only when you then describe it like that, you're like, yeah, why do we do that? It's 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 bizarre when you actually think about it. If you almost that question is if it's an alien comes down and asks you, why why do you do it like that as well? Because everyone's always done that ad infinitum. Yeah, but why? And you don't yeah, it's that's really, really fascinating. And um, I just wanted to touch and get you to reflect on any other kind of thoughts on, you know, the benefits for employees. Um, from a financial well-being perspective and you touched on a lot of great examples already but is there anything else that perhaps you haven't highlighted that you wanted to think about in terms of impacts um, that we might see that employees can have in terms of their benefits
1: yeah i think it's you've got the kind of basics of look instead of paying loads of money in fees or other forms of short-term credit which are very expensive this saves you lots of money you get a better interest rate on in your savings. But really it's that part of just feeling in control of your money, having more control over how much you get paid. And it's very hard to measure, but typically you, you will be happier in your job. You will feel more in control of things. So having positive financial wellbeing is a net positive all round. And you know the wider society as well, and then for employers, you kind of have the positives of what it can do for you in terms of recruitment, retention, and shifts, but also what it can do for you as an employer and from a kind of corporate social responsibility, ESG perspective, externally facing, you know, and most employees genuinely have a very sort of desire to help their staff and paternalistic approach of like, look, we want to be, a good employer. we want to do something for our employees. And if we can do this and, you know, everyone can be a net winner from it. Yeah, well, that
0: leads me actually to my next question, which was about responsibility, I guess. Playing devil's advocate, because I think I, I think broadly most people would agree with you uh, in terms of employers wanting to support. You know, it's for the benefit of employees. But I guess as a devil's advocate question, you could say you could argue or one might argue, why is it? the employers or the HR team's responsibility to be ensuring that your employees have a better uh, you know financial well-being. You know, it does, shouldn't it be on shouldn't it shouldn't be incumbent on the individual themselves to just get back better at managing their own money, for example?
1: Yeah, I think there is an argument that you know your pay packet is your financial well-being, right? You know we paid you money, so you go off and do what you um what you want with it. And I think that's very much been the status quo, sort of, you know, up to these changes that we're seeing now. I think I would appeal to the selfishness of an employer. You know, if you can actually, you don't necessarily need to do for paternalistic reasons, do this because it will help your business. You know, do this because it will help you recruit people better, it help you retain people, Um, it'll help you build shifts and you will save a lot of money if you help people with this. And then coming back to our earlier conversation, you have the power to help people by using the power of the salary link. You know, you can offer all your staff a, a gym or lots of other benefits, but they're all available on the open market and they can all go off and buy those. But you offer them because you kind of want to, right? But with salary link financial products, you can't get those products by going into Lloyd's Bank. You can only get them by utilising the power um, of your salary. So the downside to an employer of negative financial health. Is why they should offer them because they can they can address this um, and they have the power to address it because of the power of the um, the salary link around it.
0: Yeah, there's that. There's the argument also, as you just said, there's the argument around, you know, if you've got better, if you've got employees that are are better in terms of their financial well-being, then perhaps they're more engaged. Perhaps they bring their best selves to work. There's that side of it. But then also, as you mentioned, this kind of leads me on to my next question. You mentioned. If you're not doing it and everyone else is doing it, then rather than it becoming a benefit, it actually becomes negative and negative impact on how you're perceived in terms of your employer value proposition as well. So I just wanted to touch on because we're coming towards the end of the podcast today. Um, and this has been really, really interesting. I found this utterly fascinating. Um, The future. So you mentioned five years ago, nobody really, they not the tools in place. We've then had this period now where suddenly financial well-being has been thrust into the limelight because of the pandemic and because of naturally technology has evolved. So what does this space look like in in five years time? And then I guess linked into that, is there any kind of advice that you would give to HRDs that are just looking at it for the first time?
1: Yeah, I believe products like Level will become utility products that all employers offer. And at the moment we're in that early stage of adoption curve right so we want to get to that point where employees are saying to employers oh do you offer on-demand pay do you offer payroll savings you know the same assumption when you go to the employer that they'll have a cycle to work scheme or whatever else and i think they will become utility services either because the more people who will offer them the more people become aware of them and the more pressure it is for these things to be offered more widely or in the case of payroll saving, there's actually quite a big policy lobby to make it an opt-out product in a similar vein to what you see with um, with pensions because of the societal yeah. benefits of trying yeah. to help people save. So we've actually did, done some work ourselves around this. We've done a big study with the government's behavioural insights team um, on one of our clients is going to be reporting the autumn about this. And there's been some very good reports from Nest Insights on the studies that they're doing around payroll savings as well. So we think these will become normal products that everyone offers and you're already seeing that trade happen in America and it seems logical that will happen in the UK now whether that's offered through guys like us or whether it's offered through payroll companies or other entrants into the market that's you know the debate but I think the days of being paid 12 times a year can be gone and they can be gone in a way in which it doesn't create a massive admin burden on the employer in terms of advice to HRDs looking at it um I guess give me a call. Will be the best advice.
0: <laughs> a good way to end it. A good way to end it. Of course, my wife, uh, knowing that she manages all of our money, because um, you know, I, she's just very. She loves a spreadsheet mainly. So I'm sure she would uh, She would not like the concept of me being able to draw down my money more regularly um, and so that she doesn't get as much visibility over it. But uh, that's another story completely. Stephen, it's been absolutely amazing talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been really, really good to talk about financial wellbeing because this is a topic which people are talking about now and they've been talking about for the last year, 18 months. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Chris. You can find this podcast, if you're not already aware, if this is the first time that you're listening, you can find it on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn or Alexa um, a podcast. I think the Alexa uh, Amazon website you can get access to it we are also on soundcloud and you can get all of our back catalogue on soundcloud as well as at the lace partners website which is lacepartners.co.uk forward slash podcast Stephen, do you want to just give everybody the um uh the, where they can find uh the team the level team perhaps online and then also social medias
1: yeah um you can find our website at getlevel.co.uk and or you can look me up directly on linkedin
0: Brilliant. And we'll put a link
1: to the uh,
0: Level website and, of course, uh, Stephen as well. Uh, Stephen, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Chris. And we will see you next time on the HR on the Offensive podcast. Bye bye.